Mike called me and he asked me uh, for a title to this. And uh, I just thought, I don't, I'll pick the stupidest title I can figure out, and it's You Can't Push a Rope. That is the title of this message. You can't push a rope. So that's essentially saying, that's essentially saying you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And over and over, we see Jesus, you know, you got the Pharisees. Let me just open this up. This is Mark 10. And I told Mike I would get all the way through this chapter, so we're going to have to hustle. And I got to stop just blathering. So I'll limit my, I'll try to limit my drivel and commentary, but that's really hard. It's so much easier to just drivel and commentary, right? Uh, so in Mark 10, we have the Pharisees coming to harass Jesus. We've got, uh, we've got the little children coming to Jesus. We've got the rich young man, rich young ruler. We've got uh, Jesus caring for his disciples, predicting his death again, traumatizing them ahead of time. We've got uh, the request of James and John. Uh, so a little bit of doubt, like, uh, are we, is there a reason we're doing all this? And Jesus assuring them. Scripture's right up there. Uh, and then we have blind Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road yelling at Jesus. And... Mike has been, uh, his theme has been to show us, try to remind us who Jesus is by what he does. And, um, and I think it's interesting that when the, he interacts with the Pharisees, like he has every reason to be rude, but he's not. And he's actually kind of playful. Um, so I'm going to read this real quick and show you how this, how, how this happens. So... Mark 10, Jesus left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. And here come the Pharisees. They tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus says, what did Moses command you? Now, between teachers and, you know, the Pharisees, between the teachers and the rabbis, they played this game of one-upsmanship. And you can see it between Jewish people will quiz each other and kind of try to trick each other into misquoting scripture. But the Pharisees, they're, they're kind of playing this game with Jesus to see what he's gonna do. And over in Matthew, Jesus has already committed himself and you remember back a couple of weeks ago when we talked about uh, Herod taking the wife of his brother, Philip, and then John the Baptist, his head, and all that business? So there's trouble brewing, and those Pharisees are coming and asking the question that would get Jesus in trouble, because if he says what they know the law is, then Herod is going to hear about it, and he's going to be like, oh, man, this influential guy, he's, he's all over my business. Uh, and so they're trying to bring trouble on him. But Jesus, he plays this little game with them. He tries to trick them. The trick question is, they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus said, what did Moses command you? 
Moses didn't command anyone to divorce his wife. And the, the Pharisees pick up on this and they say, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus says this, and I think this is amazing because he said, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law. He said, in the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You know, we read this over and over, and I just couldn't think, what, what is he trying to say? But ultimately, we find that under the law, we're going to fail and fail and fail over and over. And Jesus is showing the Pharisees you live by the law, but the fact is, is that I always meant it to be about your heart and I wanted to make a way. Even when you were failing, I wanted to give you an option while protecting the woman. So a certificate of divorce is, is essentially saying a woman would have this in her hand and it said, I did not commit adultery. I did nothing wrong. This man sent me away. That made her eligible to be married again it made her able to care for herself and to be cared for. So not only is, is, is God caring for women in the Old Testament, because men could put away women for anything. If you burn the dinner, they could put you away. It just, it was no good. And so Jesus says, the reason, the reason God permitted you to divorce because your hearts were hard. And here's what was coming to my mind is that he knows that no matter what, we're always going to struggle with unforgiveness. We're always going to struggle with bitterness. Um, it's real hard to rein in selfishness when you're married or when you're in a friendship or when you're in a community of people. Um, and I think that God shows us over and over that when we sin, he's always there with forgiveness. He's always there just like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know you did this thing again. Just repent. Just come to me. Restore our relationship and, and enjoy what I have for you. And then it is interesting that the very next thing is the little kids coming to Jesus. The, the people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus... When he saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. Let me just, I wanna get this right 
I haven't been following my notes, but. Mm -hmm. So when he talks about these kids, you know, with your kids, um, they don't judge you. They just want to be with you. They want to enjoy you. And um, there was a time right when I, the night that I met Jesus, um, I'm going to tell this little story because there's a little bit to it that's, that's pretty profound that I had never thought about. Um, the night I got saved was in 1989, and uh, I had reached a point where I was so dependent on the opinions of others that I was just choking in um, self-consciousness and... I was doing a lot of drugs, but I was essentially just everything was, I was becoming more and more and more going in a way that just was awful. It was just turning me into a person that was not, not nice to be around. And uh, so, I mean, I've told this story before. I went to this church up in Mount Vernon. I went with a buddy that I worked with. Uh, it was a standard message. Uh, but after the, after the message, I was feeling pretty crappy about everything, and these guys came around me and they asked me if I wanted to pray, and so I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll pray. And, um, and they began to ask me just some innocent questions. And most of the questions I, I don't remember, but what I do remember was that I began to weep, and then I began to sob, because they were getting at the heart. The Holy Spirit was working on me, and he knew what I needed, and one of these questions was, do you love children? I didn't have any children, but I do love children because even at that point, children are playful. Children will repeat whatever you say. Children will respond to your antics. They don't judge you. They don't go, oh, stop acting like such a fool. They're just like, wow, mommy, that guy is really weird. And it's funny, it's so funny. I said, I, I do, I mean, and I, why? And, and I remember this guy's response. He says, it's because kids don't judge you. Little children just want your attention. They live in the moment. And I think Jesus wants me to be like a child in that way. He wants me to want his attention. He wants me to enjoy him. Aside, kids don't have any responsibility. They don't have to tell people what to do. They don't have anything they're supposed to do. Just want you to enjoy me. I just want you to get on my lap. And that can be really hard to push everything aside and, and just do that. Well, I, just, I, I want you guys to know that this is not necessarily a caveat, but I've been working on this for two weeks, and so far I have followed my notes not at all. Not a single thing that I worked on is coming out this morning. So this is kind of like Abigail's worship. Show up. Now, this is one of my favorites, the rich young man. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asks. What must I do to inherit 
eternal life. And Jesus stops him and he says, wait a second, why do you call me good? So apparently that was a thing. He's using a little bit of flattery, good teacher, you know, good rabbi. So Jesus establishes only God is good and you know what he's saying. So if anybody ever says to you, Jesus never claimed to be God, they're just ignorant because he just said it right there. Only God is good. He's implying that. He says, no one except God. He says, and he turns to the, the young man, he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this is hilarious. Teacher, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. And I always, I never thought a thing about that except that, oh, wow. This guy's really, he's really keeping it together. But the fact is, you've never met anybody that has kept all those commandments since they were a boy. The dude never had a moment of, of, of introspection. He never even thought about how, what his heart was like. And so Jesus, realizing this, doesn't say, dude, come on. He just said, he's... This is amazing. He says, hmm. after the young fella says, all these I have kept since I was a boy, Jesus looks at him and says, and loved him. None of the other gospels has this. How, how, does, how does Mark, the writer here, know that Jesus loved him? I think it was because Mark is the rich young ruler. Have you guys, has anybody ever heard that? Yeah, well, I told you last week. So I'm digging around, you know, and, and when you're preparing every single part of it, you just, start, you just start doing a search and you just ask questions. And this is, I didn't know that this was church tradition. How do you know Mark was a rich young ruler? How did Mark know that Jesus was loving on him? Because he had this experience with him. Okay, so was Mark rich? It says later in Acts that, that uh, the, all the disciples met in this, in this great big building. This, I don't know if it was the upper room, but that belonged to Mark's mom. Mark's mother was, was rich. And then later on, Mark travels around with Paul. This is John Mark. And he travels around. Then there's this, this big kerfuffle in Paul because Mark wants to go back to Jerusalem where his mom is. But he is on these different missionary journeys. And, and then there's some other things which are, you know, that, this, that people have written, just written scholarship. You know, people do a dissertation on this one thing. So I don't want to try to find all that stuff. I couldn't find primary sources. But wouldn't that be like God's character? Like, instead of saying... So the rich young man just walked away from Jesus, because you know the rest of it. He says, Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasures in heaven, come follow me. And the, and the guy was, his face dropped. He said, because he was so wealthy, he was so disappointed, he just walked away. And some would say, well, he just walked away and walked straight into hell, and that's, that's really an unkind thing to say, especially to the Holy Spirit, because what if he walked away and went, oh boy, 
I can't sell everything I have, but, but I can help. And he watches Jesus and he walks with him and he goes where, he, where, he, where Jesus goes and I just got to be able to think. He goes where Jesus goes and he starts supporting the church and he says, mom, can we have the church meet in this room? Mom's, yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and doesn't that make so much more sense that the Lord, he abruptly gets your attention, but then he allows you to change at your own pace based on your own level of obedience. And sometimes you pray, Lord, just show me what to do. And he's like, well, I kind of already showed you what to do. Well, why am I still struggling with this thing? Well, yeah, you're going to struggle with it, but just carry on. Do what you need to do. Keep following me. Keep enjoying me. Remember, just like the little kid, just, just keep following. Keep enjoying. Well, and this is where you get this famous, this famous thing. He says, um, the man, the young man goes away. And Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Why were they amazed? Because in the Jewish tradition, wealth meant God's favor, right? So how, how can these two things exist together? But Jesus knows, and we all know the, the different Proverbs, the, you know, that the, uh, the love of money is the root of all evil, that those who pursue money are fall into many kinds of evil. Jesus knew that this young man, rich, and it says he was a ruler, so he probably had authority over people. Probably no one had ever told this kid that he'd ever done anything wrong because all he was surrounded by was servants and nannies and stuff. Nobody's going to tell him anything. So Jesus was telling him, huh, hold up, kid. You got you to check your heart. So, so the disciples, they're just you know, amazed as always. And, uh, and Jesus says to him, children. Again, I love it that he says to the disciples, children, he's implying, you guys are just like those little kids. You're, you're in, you're on board. So listen, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This is really cool. That rope that I just threw over there. So the Greek word for rope and the Greek word for camel are one letter apart. And it is likely that Jesus, that that was a pun. It is likely that Jesus said that everybody knew it's easier. It, like it was a, in Spanish, you call it a modismo. What are you, uh, what? Eh? A colloquialism. You know, it's, it's, it is easier to get you out of bed. It is easier for me to thread that thick rope through that needle than to get you out of bed in the morning. It was probably a thing that they said all the time, but instead he used a different word. They all knew the thing, but they heard camel. It's equally as absurd, but it would have been funny. It would have made everybody go, that is hilarious. Dude, you are funny. And I, I'd never read that. That's... That's great. I love Jesus' sense of humor. I love, I love modismos like that. And I just got to say this. When I was learning Spanish, 
Anybody who speaks Spanish, you know that, the, that there's two words that are like this that are really close together. Pray, to pray is orar. To pee is urar. And our teacher came one time, he said they were walking, doing a prayer walk, prayer walk, and he was still getting his Spanish right. And so they had a big group of kids, and he says, all right, he's saying it in Spanish. Y'all go over there and pee, and we'll go over here and pee, and you guys break up and just have little pee groups. <laughs> he didn't know until afterwards. Somebody came and told him, ah, pastor, it's orar, no urar, orar. Oh, and then the other one. This is great. When you first go, I did, I did mission work before I met Debbie at his house building and stuff. When you go, the thing, the one of the things that you learn right away is how many years old are you? Ano and año. One is year, one is butthole. <laughs> so he goes, I watch this guy go to this little kid and he says, how many buttholes do you have? The little kid's like, what? I just lean in. He just asked him how many buttholes he has. He's like, oh, God. You can't recover from that. Anyways. Um, so Jesus says they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. Well, why were they astonished? Because he's going headlong into the worst day of his life. And he says to them, and it says, it says the disciples were, were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Because remember, this is the day when everybody connected with him is probably going to get in trouble too. Probably going to get locked up. There's no due process. There's nothing like that. The Romans are just like, the whole crowd just... Haul them all away, burn them. Well, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to them. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He'll be betrayed to the ones that you guys have looked to your whole life to tell you what to do and how to do it to serve God. He's making that big distinction. He's throwing everybody into confusion. Like, are you serious? We can't even trust these guys? I think they had seen that enough. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And the disciples are getting this revelation. Wait a second. You haven't done anything. You're never, you would never do anything. How are they going to condemn you to death? They will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And then he says, three days later, he will rise. And I bet those disciples didn't even hear that three days later, he will rise. Jesus is taking care of them by letting them know this thing is going to happen. And it's going to be the worst day of your life. It's going to be harder than anything you've ever gone through. And I want you to be ready ahead of time. But then he says, and three days later, he will rise. And that right there is in scripture so that each of us 
can implement that. And we have, I would say, we kind of have been trained to forget, uh, you know, one of the maxims, anybody who has ever done the program, the 12-step program, there's this thing that, that they say, this too shall pass. Remember, every single thing that we're going through, it's going to pass. And that's really important because, um, because the feel of it out there is the wars are going to be forever, the disease is going to be forever, the threat is going to be forever, the struggle is going to be forever, and Jesus just wants us always to come back to that. We're all going to rise again. We are all going to rise again. And remember when Paul says the, 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 the struggles of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glories that will be revealed in us. And then it says somewhere else, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, what God has prepared for those who love him. But the spirit is revealed to us. That's the spirit revealing it to us right there. So right after that, the request of James and John. So in one of the other gospels, James and John come up and they have their mom with them. A good Jewish mom comes in and says, hey, can we talk to you? And they come to Jesus and they say, can we have the spot on your right and left? And Jesus said, it's, it's not to me to appoint those, those things, but these two, this is not the first time. Jesus has already told them, you guys were all reigning on 12 thrones. So he's already said, you guys are, this is, you go, this is already promised. They're just saying, yeah, can I sit closest to you? And, and then Jesus goes on and says, um, he says, uh, what do you want to do for, what do you want me to do for you? They say, let us sit on your right and your left. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said, yeah, yeah. He said, he said, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, when the other 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them all together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did I forget something? I don't see it. He says, um, oh, over here. I won't go back to that. Um, I have to go back to this. Forgive me. At the end of the rich young man, and I don't know why this is stuck in there, but after he says, this is, this, this is the part where this is how my brain works. Like, no, this is, this is, this is really amazing. Where, remember where Peter says, right before all this happens, right before Jesus is caring for them, telling about the worst day of their life, there, Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, whoever has left homes, brothers, sisters, land for my sake 
will we'll have a hundred times this. He says, um, he says he will never, he will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's and fields, and with them persecutions. And I think this is what led to the next thing that, that is written down here. And in the age to come, eternal life, but many who are last, many who are first will be last and the last first. And I, I was looking up all the different things and I was like, why is he doing this? And I think that Peter feels and a lot of us feel like, is this worth it? I mean, aside from having the Holy Spirit, like I would say that I am afraid much of the time to step out and do something that's completely off script um, because I have a lot to lose. And what Jesus is saying is no matter what you step out, no matter what you lose, you don't have to be concerned because in the coming age, no one will be homeless. No one will be without lands and brothers. And no one will be lonely. There's not going to be anyone, you know, against Richard's fondest hopes. There's not going to be anyone living in a cabin in the middle of nowhere in heaven. He's back there sleeping. I know you're dreaming of your cabin. I mean, but what does that cabin represent? It represents a place where there's not a bunch of noise and a cacophony and, and brokenness and people that don't care. Like heaven is going to be filled with the thing that everybody on earth wants. If it just had food and shelter and clothes, but everyone on earth, everyone in heaven is going to be surrounded with all of these people that love Jesus and all of you people that have a story of how Jesus interacted in your life. When it says the first, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, some people that are going to be there with us came at the last minute. Some people aren't going to have a big, long testimony of how Jesus worked in their life. They're just going to be like, well, I got scooped up on the way here. I'm kind of surprised to be here. There's going to be plenty of people who who, who serve other gods and are in other religions who had an inkling that I don't think Joseph Smith is a prophet. I really think that this Jesus is not who they are saying he is. And there's going to be some people at the watchtower who are going to say, Ah, this stuff, this stuff just doesn't make sense. And what these Christians are saying, because they're going to meet a Christian who's going to explain it to them, and they're going to have all their arguments, but then could be at that last minute. I just, I just hope that that's the way it is. And there's going to be plenty of Muslims, plenty of Muslims. There's going to be plenty of Buddhists. There's going to be so many people that at the last minute, they're going to go, hmm, there's some issues with what I believe. And I think that Jesus is always knocking, reaching out. Hey, man, check yourself. What's your heart like? Are you following the traditions of man? Or are you following the things that I laid down?
last guy in this, in Mark 10, is blind Bartimaeus. Then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I always thought, yeah, that's, that's cool, shouting. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, and he shouted all the more. But uh, apparently, the way he was shouting was like a madman. He was screaming over and over like you would if your, if your hand was caught in a vice. He was screaming because he did not want to get passed by. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they stopped the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And I, th- I think it probably was, hey, 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 hey! He's calling you. And he gets up and throws his cloak aside and he runs to Jesus. Why did he throw his cloak aside? Because he didn't want to trip over it. He's a blind guy. He finally gets to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want, to, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. And he says, go, your faith has healed you. That's it. So many different ways. He heals blind people. He just says, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. My work is done here. We got through chapter 10. And I didn't follow any of my notes. And I hope that there's something that the Lord can teach us through this. Abigail, you got any more songs? Okay. Lord, um, we have all this challenge. Every one of us have this challenge before us to find you in the midst of all the chaos, to separate out your voice from those who would put constraints on us that you never meant to have on us. It's it's our task to separate out um, to separate out when you are walking by and when it's just people walking by and to call out your name and um, help us today as we do this last part of worship to remember you uh, we have the communion here, and, uh, and, and that's a foreshadowing of, of things to come. It says that the, the bread is his body, broken for us. And when he said broken for us, he meant to care for us. He meant to include us in what he's doing, that he belongs to us, and we belong to him. And he says that the blood is for the forgiveness, the the wine, the juice is for the forgiveness of sins. And we really do need, um, we need a blood transfusion. We need need to have the life of your blood in us. And I don't understand that transaction and how that works, but I do know 
that when we claim the blood of Jesus and when we ask him to forgive us, not just for our trespasses, for the things we intentionally do, but for the things that we don't know. And every single one of us is in a condition of sin. And so there is not a single one of us that can say, I have kept all those commandments since I was a boy, since I was a little girl. I'm doing pretty good. He intends that we should check our hearts and just come to him and confess and give thanks and turn to our brothers and sisters and love on them.